Welcome to True Crime South Africa. I'm Nicole Engelbrecht, and you're listening to a bonus episode brought to you by Change in One Generation podcast. In many of the cases I discuss on the podcast, we see how young South Africans struggle significantly with social and economic hardships. So I was excited to come across the podcast that's sponsoring today's episode. Change in One Generation is a new podcast series about young South Africans rising above hardship and adapting to change. The show is hosted by legendary journalist Ruda Lantman and leadership expert Dr. Frank Magwegwe. Subscribe to Change in One Generation on Apple Podcasts, Google Play or Spotify or go to changepodcasts.co.za for more information. When the Change in One Generation podcast came on board as a sponsor of the show, they asked me if I thought True Crime South Africa listeners might enjoy some bonus content. And I didn't have to think twice about that because I knew the answer was yes. Then they asked if it was possible for that bonus episode to include some positive stuff, which is, of course, what their content is all about. And while true crime doesn't often produce what I would call positive stuff, I did have a few stories floating around on my list that were more inspirational than others. Do they still involve horrible crimes and sometimes the worst of humanity? Yes, sadly they do. In my genre, there's no getting away from that. This week, though, I attended the third annual DNA Symposium online. The symposium is arranged and hosted by DNA for Africa, an organization headed up by Vanessa Lynch, who I've interviewed on the podcast before, and I definitely call a friend of the podcast. The symposium in general was incredibly insightful and I learned a lot about DNA and how it can be used in criminal and other cases. There were quite a few case studies shared throughout the symposium, and you'll hear me talk about some of those in the podcast going forward. The symposium was free to attend online, and I highly recommend keeping an eye on DNA for Africa's website next year and attending if you have an interest in all things DNA. Some of the most positive information shared during the symposium in regards to case studies was around the DNA hits of the year. Every year, the DNA community around the world selects a case from submissions internationally where DNA was used in an interesting or innovative way. This year, there were six finalists, and it was explained that all six cases were so interesting that they were all made the hit of the year. This actually included a case from South Africa, which was really exciting to see. Although all of the crimes involved in these case studies are, of course, incredibly tragic and not good news in any way, I do think that the amazing tools that are now available to us to bring justice to victims of violent crime deserve to be celebrated. Also, as you'll hear in some of these cases, especially the one from South Africa, it wasn't just the tools that did an incredible job. The humans involved also went above and beyond to ensure that justice was done. I'll be using much of the same wording as the PDF download of the six hits that can be found at dnahitoftheyear.com, 
where you can also read about previous year's winners and some of the other cases that were submitted for this year. So without further ado, here in no particular order are the DNA Hits of the Year for 2023. The first success story comes from Jacksonville, Florida, and was submitted by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. The case summary reads as follows. Caroline Scolot was an active duty U.S. Coast Guard member. She was assigned to the Helicopter Interdiction Tactical Squadron, which is dedicated to drug interdictions. On Tuesday, the 3rd of August, 2021, she was murdered in her driveway after interrupting a car burglar. She had the suspect at gunpoint while on the phone with 911, ordering him to remain there until police arrived. The suspect did not comply and pulled a gun, firing multiple shots at Scolot. She was struck and died at the scene. Several neighborhood cameras captured video of the suspect walking up to homes looking for unlocked cars. Other car burglaries from that evening, as well as car burglaries from days earlier, were also caught on video. These videos showed several individuals involved, along with the getaway vehicle. These cameras also captured the suspect fleeing the scene of the shooting and getting into a vehicle. Police had the suspect's image from the videos and clothing he dropped along the flight path. The clothing was submitted the same day as the crime to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, Jacksonville Regional Operations Center Laboratory for the biology section to examine. The clothing was processed and subjected to DNA analysis as soon as it arrived in the laboratory. The next morning, a male profile from the evidence was searched in Florida's CODIS system. There were no matches. The profiles obtained from the clothing were mixtures. The analyst then resampled the shirt in a different area. The next round of DNA results was obtained three days after the murder. The resampling of the shirt produced a female DNA profile. Due to the shooting being linked to multiple car burglaries involving several suspects, the female profile was also searched in Florida's CODA system. The profile hits to a Florida qualifying offender. Members of the Florida DNA Investigative Support Database went into the lab on Saturday to review and confirm the search results, releasing the name to the Jacksonville lab. Detectives from Jacksonville Sheriff's Office went to the female's home the day of the DNA hit. They interviewed her, secured a warrant, and found the murder weapon and other information leading to the identification of the suspect, Tyree Parker. The murder weapon had been stolen from an unlocked vehicle 11 days prior to the shooting. Four days after the shooting, a warrant was issued for Tyree Parker. On the 10th of August 2021, Tyree Parker turned himself into law enforcement. He was arrested and charged with second-degree murder. His DNA profile was not the male profile previously searched in CODIS. The second DNA hit success story comes from Madrid, Spain, and very sadly involves the death of an infant, so please be aware of this. 
On the 22nd of May 2012, the dead body of an unidentified baby was found in the Valdemir Gomez Waste Treatment Plant in Madrid. The baby's dead body still had the umbilical cord attached to it, for which reason DNA samples were taken from both the dead body and the umbilical cord. The same genetic profile was obtained from all the samples. The post-mortem examination performed on the dead body established that the newborn girl had suffered a violent death caused by mechanical asphyxia and severe head trauma. After obtaining the conclusive STR genetic profile of the dead body, it was entered into the Spanish police's DNA database, which resulted in a new search tool that makes it possible to obtain new possible candidates who are compatible with DNA samples that had until now remained anonymous. On the 18th of August 2020, legal authorization was re- was requested for the creation of the pedigree tree with the genetic profile of the baby's dead body and for its collation with the conclusive profiles which are of interest for purposes of fighting crime and which already exist in the DNA database. Once the authorization was obtained, the searches were triggered aimed at identifying the likely biological parents of the baby. Compatibility with the male's conclusive genetic profile was obtained. The male had been arrested in 2011 for physical injury in Madrid and had remained in the DNA database since then. Kinship analyses were conducted, and as a result, it was revealed that the said conclusive profile corresponded to that of the baby's biological father. As a result of the biological father's identification, the Judicial Police Unit started an investigation which was aimed at the identification and location of the baby's biological mother. This investigation resulted in a woman being found, from whom a conclusive DNA sample was taken. Once this conclusive sample of the presumed mother had been analysed, an STR genetic profile was obtained, after which kinship statistical analyses were performed together with those conducted on the father and on the baby. These studies concluded that this woman was the biological mother of the baby who was found dead in 2012 at Madrid's waste treatment plant. She was arrested in 2021 after confessing and was charged with an offence of intentional homicide based on the above-described facts. The next DNA hit was submitted from the Kingdom of Bahrain, and it's really quite interesting. It involves using consanguinous marriages to identify terrorists using Bahrain's DNA database. Now, consanguinous marriages are also known as cousin marriages, and it's a type of interfamilial union defined as the marriage between two blood-related individuals who are second cousins or closer. The details of how this was used in this case are as follows. The Kingdom of Bahrain is one of the few countries that has a significant number of terrorist investigations, which has allowed their scientists to develop expertise in the forensic examination of post- and pre-blast explosive exhibits, 
as well as in developing different strategies in handling terrorism evidence. A total number of 34 improvised explosive devices, or IEDs, were deployed in different areas of Bahrain, mainly in Ali, Hamatown and Bori, in the years 2015 to 2017. These IEDs consisted of pipes, adhesive tapes, cardboard boxes and some electrical devices. Officials in Bahrain recognize that terrorists do not respect geographical boundaries nor ethnicities of victims and find that the use of DNA profiling technology is the most suitable way to identify the terrorists and attempt to end their violent actions. Touch DNA was taken from these IEDs, and the samples were stored in the National DNA Database. But at the time, there was no hit. In 2019, they came up with a new DNA methodology, which involved using consanguinous marriages to identify suspects. The methodology uses familial DNA searches and kinship analysis to narrow down the families and then individuals in which terrorism suspects belong. In July 2020, Bahrain officials applied this methodology to the unknown DNA profile from a sample in one specific terrorism case. Partial matches indicating some level of familial connection, likely through cousin marriages, identified 77 suspects. The Forensic Science Intelligence Team and the Department of Criminal Investigations studied those 77 suspects and identified a 25-year-old man who was living near the area where the IEDs in question were deployed. On the 26th of July 2020, officials requested that the siblings of this person come in and provide two reference samples. After analysing the reference samples, they were able to determine a full match to the touch DNA from that IED, as well as 19 other IEDs that had been planted in other areas of Bahrain. These types of marriages are unadvised in medical practice, as well as in some religious convictions, due to the recurrence of recessive genetic disorders, such as neuromuscular disorders, metabolic disorders, osteoporosis syndromes, and chondrodystrophia that may be lethal to offspring. But there are still many cousin marriages at present day in most of the Arab countries, such as in tribes, conservative families, and Bedouins. According to the Bahrain report, there is a considerably high level of inbreeding in the Arab countries, with intrafamilial unions accounting for 20 to 50% of all marriages compared to other countries. The Kingdom of Bahrain is now using this methodology in other criminal cases and believe it can also be put to use in countries with similar types of marriages. The fourth DNA hit comes from Denver, Colorado in the US and involves the identification of a serial killer through one of the first interstate familial DNA searches. The very short summary of the case from the Colorado authorities reads as follows. The solving of four cold case sexually motivated homicides from more than 40 years ago in the Denver, Colorado metropolitan area happened through a combination of local CODIS matches, 
investigative genetic genealogy, or IGG, and an interstate familial search with the state of Texas. Local CODIS searches linked the cases together. IGG traced the individual's family line to Texas, and the familial search identified the exact family. After elimination of multiple brothers by investigators, an exhumation of a deceased individual and subsequent DNA testing on the remains identified the perpetrator as Joe Irvin and provided some measure of resolution to the families. Three of the cases occurred within the city and county of Denver, and the fourth case occurred in the neighboring Adams County. The individual responsible for these crimes subsequently killed a female Aurora, Colorado police officer during a traffic stop, and then committed suicide while in jail awaiting court proceedings for that murder. The identification of Joe Irvin is nominated for DNA Hits of the Year due to the every tool in the toolbox approach, the identification of a serial killer, and the innovative nature of the work performed. To date, another interstate familial search is not known, and one of this magnitude strengthens the reasoning to make this a regular option in cold casework. These cases were funded in part by federal grants and local crime stoppers backing. Now, I'm swapping around the fifth and the sixth case from the order on the downloadable PDF from the DNA Hits of the Year website, because I want to end off with the South African case. So the fifth case finalist for the DNA Hits of the Year is a property crime from Malaysia. In early 2022, an owner of a jewellery shop stopped at a gas station to refuel his car and was ambushed by two cars with robbers. They attacked him and his vehicle and took three bags of jewellery from his car. The victim suffered minor injuries. Weapons used in the robbery were recovered from the scene, and the incident was recorded on CCTV at the gas station. The case received substantial social media attention. The Royal Malaysia Police was deployed to gather evidence and used DNA sampling to obtain a DNA profile from the victim's car, which had been touched by the assailants. Seven DNA trace samples were collected, leading to two male profiles. These profiles were uploaded into the Malaysian database, which led to a match with one of the two DNA profiles recovered from the victim's car. Within 48 hours, police were deployed and successfully captured the male whose profile matched the database. This led to several additional arrests of other men police believed were involved in the case. Police collected additional DNA samples from these men and all resulting profiles were uploaded to the DNA database. One of these arrested men matched the DNA profile of the second male recovered from the crime scene. The suspects were charged with robbery. The DNA database therefore played a critical role in identifying the assailants. And last, but by no means least, the sixth case that was made a finalist and joint winner in the DNA Hits of the Year is from South Africa. The report submitted for consideration read as follows. On the 10th of October 2016, at 2 p.m., the SAPS in Bronco Spreit 
requested FPS Bronkospreitz to collect a body of an unknown African female on the R42 Dalmas Road. A case of murder was opened. The body was starting to decompose, and body number DR224-2016 was assigned to the unknown deceased. On the 12th of October 2016, at 9am, a post-mortem was conducted at the Medico-Legal Laboratory in Bronkospreitz with a pathologist from Pretoria. The suspicion was that the victim was murdered and sexually assaulted. The pathologist conducting the examination then collected DNA evidence from the genital organs by using evidence swabs provided in the sexual assault collection kit. The evidence was received by the Forensic Pathology Service from the pathologist, sealed and handed over to the SAPS for DNA investigation. These samples were sent to the biology lab of the SAPS and reported as urgent as there was a suspicion that a serial killer and rapist was operating in the Bronkhorst-Sprate area. Forensic Pathology Service, by law, has the right to bury an unknown deceased after 30 days, when all avenues have been taken to see if the deceased can be identified. On the 19th of October 2016, the Victim Identification Unit was requested to come and collect reference DNA and fingerprints for identification purposes. The same unit was requested again to come and collect samples and fingerprints for matching to the database on the 26th of April 2017. The fingerprint results were available on the 23rd of May 2017 but came back as unknown and couldn't be determined by LCRC or Home Affairs. But still, the Forensic Pathology Service decided not to bury the victim. At this time in Allendale, a desperate mother had reported her daughter missing a week after she'd last seen her on the 9th of October 2016. In February 2017, that case was escalated to a kidnapping at the SAPS in Lanasia. The suspect in question was a high-profile cash-in-transit suspect. The suspect's DNA swab was collected and sent for matching to the database as urgent. In that same year, between July and August 2017, to the surprise of the investigating officer, a hit on the suspect's DNA was reported by the SAPS Biological Lab. The DNA from the sexual assault kit taken at FPS Bronkospreitz linked to the suspect on the kidnapping case. The investigating officer then traced the case back to FPS Bronkospreitz in September 2017. On the 22nd of September 2017, a human remains ID kit was collected for comparison with the mother's DNA. Six days later, a report was received from the Pretoria SAPS lab identifying the deceased. Now, this very short summary really does not do justice to this incredible story, and the individual involved in the resolution, Vili Fushia, was given his award for this DNA hit at the symposium this week. I really want to cover this case in full, and I'd love to also interview Vili about the role he played, 
as it honestly gives me great hope that so many of the people involved in this case push to get justice for this victim. You'll definitely hear more about this in the future. I do hope that hearing these DNA success stories has stirred up some positivity in you as they did in me, because I really do think it's incredible how these powerful tools are developing around us. This bonus episode was brought to you by Change in One Generation podcast. I highly recommend you check out their podcast on Spotify or the platform you're using to listen right now. I'll be back with you a little later this week. Thanks again to this week's sponsor, Change in One Generation. To hear amazing stories of change, go to changepodcasts.co.za. I'm sure you'll enjoy the show.